If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open them up. Third, the book of Third John. Uh, make your way almost all the way to the end of the Bible, uh, and then uh, you will find it somewhere in there. Uh, a few months ago, and I should say this, a few months ago, uh, we started uh, this journey. One of the things that we do here is we believe firmly in getting behind the Word of God and just following uh, the words. And so the way we do that is we walk through books of the Bible uh, together. And so a few months ago, uh, when we started this journey through the letter of First John, I, I was excited to walk through it with you, um, but I, I really, this is going to sound weird coming from me, uh, but I, I didn't expect to discover just the many, many deep, deep treasures that this letter actually has in it. Um, secretly, uh, what I was really wanting to do uh, was, was teach you one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, and it's found in chapter 4 of the letter of 1 John, where, where basically what John does is, is we get to respond in worship uh, as we better understand that, that love is from God. Uh, that God has uh, defined love. He models it. He it, promises it to us as He pours it out in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, uh, and that's really all I wanted to do. I wanted to find a way to get us to that uh, great point of responding in worship to how good God is. Uh, but what we found along the way, at least what I found along the way, was God being very gracious uh, to, to my own spirit by showing me uh, so much more. We were invited to explore our hearts, which is one of the things I love about the Bible, is it's always inviting us to explore and examine what's going on in our lives, that, that, that we were invited to see if our lives, if we were walking in darkness or we were walking in light, and that if we say that we're walking in the light while we're walking in the darkness, we need to be very aware of what is going on around us, that, that God's light, that His Word, draws us into fellowship with Him. God's Word draws us into that and it exposes the darkness. And by exposing the darkness, what it does is it shows us the healthiest, most productive, most joy-filled uh, way of living. It, it literally shows us the path uh, to freedom. And, and the warning that we find all in the Bible is that Every time you want to walk in darkness, every time you want to uh, meander uh, aimlessly into darkness, it w- there are things in there that will ensnare you. Uh, and their intention is to weigh you down, to eventually it suffocates you. Uh, and so, so we, we guard our hearts to make sure um, our, our love is for the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, and there's this really great warning in the letter that, that we found where it says, um, make sure you don't fall in love with the world. Don't fall in love with the enticements of, of this world. And this is why uh, John will, will tell us frequently in these chapters to be aware of the voices that we allow to speak truth into our lives. Uh, that, that what they say about Jesus says a lot about the motive of their hearts and eventually their actions. And, uh, and then we wrestled with the conflicts that we find ourselves in where John again, very lovingly comes in and he says, hey, you can't say that you love God while at the same time hating your brother. So that it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, that your love for God spills over into all of the relationships that you have, specifically, as we were talking about, John is speaking to the church, specifically when it comes to conflicts that arise 
in here, that we carry a love for one another, that there's a connection between our love for God and our desire to walk in life with other people. And then what I, I think was most unexpected to me uh, was, was some of the, the treasure that we found in chapter 5, uh, where, uh, where we were reminded of the marks of a person changed by the gospel. Uh, that, that there are some things that are true about them, some powerful promises that God wants His children to always remember, to never leave things that, that we can know, like, like we have eternal life in Jesus, that, that God answers our prayers, that, that we can know victory over sin. You realize that, that we don't, have to, we don't live defeated because of Jesus. And if you are in Jesus and you say, well, I'm still defeated in sin, then, then we're having a hard time understanding what Christ is doing in our lives, that, that we belong to God, that we are secured by His Word, not our own strengths and not our own abilities. And, and then that lastly, we can know what is true. That you and I, we don't have to wonder what is true and what is false, that the, the Word gives us uh, this example and this, this um, commands about what truth is. And, and while we were making our way through those verses, we decided to go ahead and just spend two additional weeks so we can, again, complete the T-set uh, and, and say we're going we're gonna to walk through Second uh, John and Third John. And so last week uh, we, were, we read about this warning of the importance of truth. That there's a difference between walking in sincerity and truth and just walking in sincerity and folly. Uh, that, that you can have all the best intentions, but if you don't back that up with truth, then, then you wander into some dangerous places. And, and the reason why that's important is because there's a lot of voices and there's a lot of beliefs out there that sound safe but are deadly. And so being able to come in and say, what is the truth. So as believers, we always come back to Jesus. We always come back to, to what has He said, what has He declared. And when He walks in and He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Me, we always come back to what does Jesus say about this matter, which is why our relationship with the Word of God is incredibly important because John, the author of this letter, also wrote the Gospel of John, and he opens it with, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And he's alluding to telling this story about Jesus. And so we always come back to that. And so, so this morning we're going we're to spend some time uh, in Third John. And this letter, uh, just a little Bible nerdum for you, uh, it's believed to be the last book written in, in all of the New Testament. Uh, that he, John wrote this letter later than all the other books that we find uh, in the New Testament, uh, but, but where last week we were told to be on guard about voices that were coming in from the outside, today we're, we're being challenged to be aware of the voices that are coming on the inside, the actions that come inside the church. And so uh, we're going to do that, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we, we are very thankful today for your word. And what we pray as we get to walk through these, these 14 or so verses that we would be very in tune with what your Spirit is saying to us, that we would, we would listen with the intent of change where necessary, that we would listen with the intent of confirmation, uh, that we would listen with the intent of glorifying your Son. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so, so we all, there's something that we all possess.
that is invaluable to us. Um, that that it, it goes with us wherever we go, but amazingly, it also goes where we do not go. And not that I'm giving you a riddle. I'm going to tell you what this is in a moment. Uh, you're like, oh, get my riddle book out. Um, what, what's most interesting is, as we think of this prized possession, is that uh, what we think we may have uh, may not necessarily be what others think about us. Uh, and, and so so as we open up Third John, the whole letter is about reputation. It's about the reputation that we carry each and every day of our lives, that, that your reputation simply is, is the estimation or the evaluation uh, that others may have of your character and your integrity uh, and, and your standing really as a person. And it, and it might be good. And it might be bad, it might be positive, it might be negative, you know. Um, but, but be assured of this, we, we all have a, a reputation. And now some of the ways that we say that, right? Boy, he's got a reputation. Never positive, right? <laughs> Never. He's got a reputation. You're like, oh, that sounds better. Um, we all have, in fact, people watch you and they develop an idea of who you are. It, it precedes you, it goes with you, and it follows you all of your life. Uh, and, and so it takes time. This is what we know about reputation, that, that it takes time and it takes determination and it takes consistency to, to develop a positive reputation. And it can take just moments to develop a negative one, right? Have you ever been defined by your weakest moment? You know, well, that's, that's not really who I am, but yeah, I guess that is what I did. And, and so, so some of that can be very unfair and some of it can be very deserved. And, and if a reputation is what people think about you, then let's, let's ask three questions at the very beginning uh, to, to kind of help us funnel into this uh, passage. That number one, what do you think about yourself? What do you, what do you think about yourself? Number two, what do you think other people think about you? Okay? Now, the danger of those first two, answering those first two questions can be very misleading. Because if you have an elevated view of yourself, well, you'll think that, well, I'm great and everybody loves me because I'm so great. Uh, and then if you have um, a very poor view of yourself, you say, well, I'm worthless. Therefore, when people see me, they are worth, they see that I don't have any worth. That's why we ask this third question. What do I believe God says about me? What do I believe God thinks about me? Because for the Christian, that's the motivation of the rest of our lives. That what God says about me matters greatly. Now, the reputation I carry is important because it reflects who He is. So, so I think answering all three of these questions, it shapes how we prioritize, how we, how we foster our, relation, our reputations. And, and Third John revolves around uh, really three key men uh, and their reputation. Now, two of these guys are going to serve as models to imitate. This other guy, uh, we'll call him Lane, uh, is one to be avoided at all costs. Um, we won't really call him Na- Lane, but he, he has a weird name. And so, uh, so, so what's easy with this letter is to come in and just to outline it, give you, hey, here's three guys, here's what they did. Uh, and, and what I want to do is avoid that. What I want really to do is to invite you to examine your own heart, to think about your own reputation, uh, and really see if, if anyone written about here looks something like you. 
uh, or, or perhaps if you are found in Jesus, uh, that you would ask yourself uh, this, this very important, always pressing question. Does my life bring praise to the name of Jesus? Does my life, does my actions, does it bring praise to uh, the name of Jesus? Do I, do I live, for instance, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16? And I'm not a big fan of just plucking a verse, but, but here's what that says. Uh, Jesus is talking to us about who we are. He says, you're a light to the world. So he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, okay? And realize that that's not the end of the sentence. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So now, as Christians, we have a roadmap That I do good things, not just for the sake of doing good things. I do good things so that when people see my life, they connect my motivations with the glory of God. That's the way we live. Or that's, at least that's the way we are called to live. And so, so that question is going to become obvious for, for each of the men that John is going to describe in this letter. And in fact, uh, the first one we're going to pay attention to is actually the, pers- the recipient of the letter. And so, so we lock in here because we can learn a lot as we consider that, that God has ordained what looks like a throwaway letter. Like I, I think it's, I've been thinking this week about um, Misty has this box in the attic that I don't know why we have it, um, but, but you can't get rid of it because it holds letters that were written in the sixth grade, right? All right? And you're like, well, why do you need that? I, don't, I just want it forever. You know, and it's all the, hey, what's up? Not much here. What do you, right? Anybody do that? Like, I didn't even ask you. I don't care. Um, but, but so, so this letter looks very much like a, like, hey, I'm just writing you a letter. Like John is just writing this guy named Gaius a letter and saying a couple things. But yet, somehow, God, in his infinite wisdom, has protected this piece of paper. Right? That's, that's all this is. God protected this piece of paper, and then it has been saved and copied, and eventually it makes its way into the canon of Scriptures. And so, so when we read this, again, it's a privilege because God is speaking to us as John writes a letter to Gaius. Okay, And so this is, this is where we go. The first man that we're going to talk about is a guy named Gaius. And we start in, in verse number 1, uh, where he says this, The elder... Okay, so that's John. We talked about that last week. He describes himself as the elder. Uh, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Then he says this, Beloved, I, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Okay, so this is a good spot for, for application. John, John just comes in and he says, I, I hope you are as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. Okay, I hope you are as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. And, and that caused me this week to think about if you guys were writing this letter to me or perhaps if I was writing this letter to you. What, what if I were to pray for you and to ask God to bless you physically to the same degree that you are healthy spiritually? Right? What, what, if, what, if, what if he answered that prayer? Like, like, are you spiritually healthy enough to go run a marathon? Are, are you spiritually healthy enough to just maybe walk the neighborhood? Or do you say, we would need to call the ambulance because I need a ride to the ICU. Tell them to get a bed ready. 
So he looks at him and he says, listen, Gaius, as, as you are spiritually healthy, I hope it's to the same degree that, I hope your physical health is the same degree because I know that you are greatly healthy when it comes to the matters of the Spirit. In fact, he says, uh, as it goes well with your soul. Verse 3 says, I, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Okay, so this is, this is the, the, the makeup of this letter is, hey, the guys that I sent to you guys to minister to you guys, they've come back and they've told me about you. And I was so impressed by what I heard, I wanted to encourage you with this letter. So I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Remember, this goes back to 1 John when he kept calling us little kids. And it was never a demeaning. It was, it was, a, it was a phrase of, of joy and appreciation and pride that he has with them. And so, so as we talk about reputations worth having, I'm just going to give you a couple thoughts that we're just drawing from these verses and none of it will be like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so incredibly deep and profound. But as we talk about a reputation worth having as believers... Number one, we want that reputation, people to say that they walk truthfully. That they walk truthfully. That Gaius' reputation is strong because his walk is strong. So, so let's, let's remember a thought that we carried last week as we spoke about the importance of the truth. That, that Jesus tells us that he is the truth. So, so as we live out and as we model the very word of God, that truth becomes evident in our lives. That we would... Um, bear fruit. That's the way the Bible, that's the biggest word picture the New Testament gives us about what we do with our lives because of Jesus. We simply bear fruit. Uh, and so, so people can't necessarily see your heart, right? Imagine how much easier life would be if, you re- if you're like, I just want them to know that I really am for them. I want them to see how much I love them. But not everybody can see your heart, but they can see your actions. And and so we, we live out in day by day this gospel truth that is in you because of the life that Jesus has made available to you. And so, so what made Gaius such a good testimony uh, was that his truth was God's truth. That he lived according to God's truth. The truth was in him that it enabled him to walk in the light of, of God's will. And, and so, so Gaius, he, he reads the word, he meditates on it, he delights in it, and then he puts it into practice. So when, we, when Jesus dies and he rises three days from the grave and eventually he ascends into heaven, uh, we see at the very beginning of the book of Acts the formation of the church. And one of the things that is consistently said about them is that they devoted themselves to the Word. They devoted themselves to the Word. And that's not because God wanted everybody to be good readers. But it's because he wanted you, he wanted us, he wants us, longs for us to be established in truth. Because he knows when we're not established in truth, we will try to establish ourselves in other places. And so, so last, uh, yesterday we were uh, meeting in our men's breakfast and uh, James, James brought up a, an incredible uh, psalm that he had been reading. And it starts, in fact, it's the very first psalm. And it talks about what happens when we are established in the truth, when we delight ourselves in the Word of God. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the, the Word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night, that, that God's Word shapes how we think. It shapes how we move. It shapes what we do with the time that we have here. Then it says, it gives us this word picture. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers because the word is like water and it constantly is helping us grow. And so, so we shouldn't, this might sound rude and I mean it lovingly so I can say whatever I want. Um, But we, we shouldn't have to be reminded of the importance of feasting on the Word of God. We shouldn't have to be. In fact, you, you, you don't have to be reminded to eat, right? Eventually your stomach tells you, hey, I'm hungry, or I'm hangry, whichever one you are first. Right? But yet somehow we think that we can crash diet ourselves in the Word and be like, hey, you know, one verse today is going to be fine. A passing thought, that's going to be enough. When we've been invited to this banquet to feast deeply on the Word of God. So, so he, he continues in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He's like, you don't know these people. They just showed up uh, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. And he's just talking about missionaries. These are people who are coming to your town saying, hey, we want to serve the Lord with you, that we may be workers, fellow workers for the truth. So, so reputation worth having. Um, when people look at you, being able to say that they serve faithfully is important. It's important that he says, beloved, Gaius, beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do. Now, what, what was he doing? Well, it seems like he was leading the way and showing hospitality to, towards some of the traveling missionaries of Jesus that John sent. And that seems like a, such a small thing, doesn't it? Because when we think about hospitality, we're like, well, it's just, taking care of the needs of other people. It's making them feel welcomed. It's, it's identifying where you can play a role. And it seems like it's such a small thing to make a big deal out of, but, but let's remember this, that, that Jesus consistently tells us that the path to greatness is paid through service. Every time. Every time the disciples want to start talking about who gets to be first in line, who gets to have the best seat in heaven, he always comes back and he says, the path to your greatness is paid through your service. So how can you, with your life, pour it out for others as a mark of service? Through an expression of love between you and others, compelled by your love for Christ. So, so, so service, it's a powerful light, and John wants to encourage us to make it a priority. And I think too often in the church, when we try to figure out if this is a church that we want to spend time with, we ask the wrong questions. Because typically what we do is we have a checklist of things that we want, right? 
Well, does this church have this for me? Does this church have that for me? Does this church have this for someone that I know, right? And Jesus comes in and he says, that's not the way communities work. He consistently will bring us back to the church community. The biblical community is like a family. And here's what we know about your family. Everybody has responsibilities. Everybody has a role to play. Someone's got to take out the trash. Someone's got to take out, uh, has to vacuum the floor, right? And if you have kids, that's why you have them. So they can do those things. Right, Kena? Yes. Yeah. I took out your trash yesterday, so you owe me five bucks. Um, and and here's, here's what I love about Third John. I, I love the fact that hospitality gets such a bright spot because we tend to think of it as, as a lesser gift, but it's huge. Because people who walk with hospitality, they, they, they honor God and they serve as a witness of Jesus and they, they walk in this deep obedience and we need to be more like Gaius. He's spiritually healthy. He, he's obedient to the Word. He's willing to partner with the saints for the advancement of the Gospel. And we need to be more like Him, not just here, but globally. We need the church to rise up with Gaius's. Uh, and so, so now, now sandwiches in between Two good people, we find a person to avoid. Uh, and this guy, uh, his name is, is Diotrephus. Uh, and I'm going to say, I might just call him D at some point, because Diotrephus is a lot of work. That's, I'm exhausted this week, just trying to remember that name. Uh, so here he goes, verse 9. It says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense. Uh, I think he has a Boston accent, and that was my attempt at Boston accents. Uh, and, and not consent with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who want to, and he puts them out of the church. So, so if, if Gaius has this right balance, Diotrephus, Diotrephus uh, does not. In fact, he, he seems to be basically the anti-Gaius. That uh, at every turn, he, he's a man with a harmful and a destructive agenda. And the bottom line is that, that Diotrephus, what he wants to be is the boss of the church. He wants to control it all. And so, so as we talk about uh, reputations worth developing, uh, Diotrephus, uh, he, he teaches us some biblical things to avoid. Okay? And I'm going to say this, and you're like, yeah, I should avoid that. But it's important to bring it up, to say it out loud. All right? so, so number one, that we would avoid prideful ambition. That our lives would not be about prideful ambition. Verse 9 says that, that he likes to put himself first. He likes to put himself first. That, that that's, and that's, that's honestly the inclination that's trumpeted in our society. Right? You, you take care of you. Let them take care of them. Which would work great. Does work great. Right up until the point that you and them collide. And then something has to give. And what the world says is, well, make them give. You don't have to do it. You shouldn't have to do that. And what the Bible says is something completely different. And so, so Diotrephus' reputation is that he was concerned with himself, which, uh, again, is, is 
not in the vein of, of what we read in the Word, that, that pride in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. It isn't. In fact, we, we should be proud. We should be proud as Christians. I have great pride uh, in the fact that God loves me. I have great pride in the fact that God is moving uh, not just uh, here in our church, but in our city and in the world. I, I have great pride in that. I take pride uh, in the reputation that we are striving to create here at Merge. I take pride when, when my kids do things that bring a smile to my face. But, but when pride becomes an idol or it paves the way toward an idol, we've traveled into sinful actions. And that's when pride becomes an issue. And this is where Diotrephus has found himself. So the second part of that is, is a reputation worth having avoids developing a dominating spirit. Now, now if you are um, a choleric personality or if you are an atop personality, you're like, well, sometimes domination is the only way to get results done. And it's not. That's a lie from the enemy. That to have a dominating spirit can be a very deadly action when it comes to the reputation that you carry. That he seems like a good guy, but boy, he will step on your throat to get it done. So John says not only is, is Diotrephus not welcoming brothers, he's kicking out the ones at the church who do want to welcome them. That, that he's, he's a bully, he censures, he dismisses those who, uh, view, who he views as, as opposition. And there's this, this sick and this sad digression to uh, Diotrephus' behavior. So, so his ambition led to his arrogance, which led to accusations culminating in these dangerous actions. And he acted exactly the opposite of, of Gaius. That Then he, he keeps going further. He slanders John, and he gives a, a, a cold shoulder to missionaries and, and those who wanted to help. He says, no, not only... Or you're not allowed to help, but you're not allowed to be here anymore. And all John basically says is, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. In fact, I think it's wise what he does, because he gives us Gaius, and then he says, hey, don't be like Diotrephus, because when I come in, when I get to you, we're going to talk about this very openly, which is the biblical way of dealing with that kind of conflict. And then he gives us uh, another example worth emulating, and it's a guy named Demetrius, which is a lot easier to say uh, than Diotrephus. Uh, so he says this in verse 11. Beloved, so he's talking to Gaius, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And you're like, whoa, that's deep, John. That's deep. But he's like, hey, I'm just letting you know, don't be like, like a Diotrephus. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. This is why I like John so much. Because he really comes in and he says, listen, it's one way or the other. You're either walking in the light or you're walking in the darkness. Either, either uh, uh, if you do evil, you haven't seen God. If you do what's good, you have seen God. It really is that simple. And he, then he says this in verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. So he says, listen, I, I agree. I endorse Demetrius, and you know that our testimony is true. And so here's, here's the thing. A, a man like uh, Diotrephus can be impressive. He can. 
He can build a following. He can gather supporters he can, who admire him, even idolize him. And John was aware of this, and he knew that we all tend to imitate someone. And so he says, just be aware of who you admire. And he says, if you're wondering, Gaius, look at Demetrius. He's like, this guy gets it. You just pay, pay attention to Demetrius. And this is, I think it's our last blank, that, that a reputation worth having carries with it a good report. And too often in our lives, we will say, well, I don't really care what other people think. In fact, I saw this. and It might have been my mom's Facebook page. Is she in here? No? Okay. Ah, dang it, she is. Okay. Hey, I'm not talking to you. So anyways, my mom on her Facebook page uh, she had this, this, this note, and it said, it really doesn't matter what people think of you as long as you know what God thinks about you. And I agree right up until the point where I don't agree, uh, because it does matter a great deal. Your reputation matters a great deal. Again, not because it's about you being great in, your, in and of yourself. It's because your reputation says something about how, what God thinks about you. And the more we understand how much God loves us, how sacrificial God has been for us, motivates us to carry in a good report. And so, so what John does is he gives us a tangible example of what he's talking about when it comes to living out the gospel. He says, hey, Gaius, look at Demetrius. That guy is a good testimony. That, that this carries an important question that we have to reconcile, that, that is it right for the Christians to imitate human leaders? And the answer is depends. Depends on what that human leader is, is leading you to. If they're leading you to Christ, then yes, it's worth imitating some of those footsteps. So, so when, I grew up, when I was growing up, I played a lot of sports. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in a sandlot, spent a lot of time in a driveway. And one of the biggest things that you do as a kid, you don't say, hey, I'm going to be me today. You're like, no, I'm Joe Montana. At least that's for us. I'm Troy Aikman, you know, sitting in the driveway, just my, my tongue sticking out because I'm Michael Jordan. You know, all of this was like Mike. <laughs> and, and what you do is you watch. Because those are, those are the pros. They were the best in the world. And in my, my you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old mind, I really thought that as long as I kept shooting... Now, my favorites were like white guys who shot three-pointers. So like I loved Judd Bushler. I loved Steve Kerr. Uh, I was even a fan of Thunder Dan Marley. If, if that's a reference to the... Yeah, there you go. All right. I have two friends. Um, but you watch their form and you say, if I keep my elbow in like they keep their elbow in and if I put my shot up and I keep my hand up the way they keep their hand up and you imitate their behaviors because they're the best in their field. And this is what the Bible tells us. That you, you find those who are doing it well and you imitate them as they imitate Christ. Paul, Paul says this. In fact, there's two places I want to read to you. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
And then maybe Hebrews is one of my favorite verses about the power that comes when we walk in community uh, where the author just comes in and he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That, that when we stir one another up, it wouldn't be in conflict. It would be in this desire to put the glory of God on display. And we would look and we'd say, hey, that family is doing it right. How can we emulate that? Not to take ownership of it, but so that our family can walk in the light of the gospel more and more. And so, so, so why do we imitate the good found in Gaius and Demetrius? And why do we avoid the bad um, that we find in, in Diotrephus is because it gives evidence to whom you belong. It's all that it does. Ultimately, we should imitate Jesus. In fact, uh, Hebrews tells us that He is our supreme example who never fails us. However, there, there's this great support available in, in looking at the form of those that we admire and trying to walk like them. And you, you do that until you you find your voice. That's, that's what it is. You follow in the footsteps until you find your voice. And then as you find your voice, what you'll find is that other people will start following in those footsteps. And then secondly, the reason why we do that is, is because here, here's what I need. I, I need my kids to be able... I need to walk in biblical community with other godly men and women so I can tell my kids, hey... See how they're doing that. I need, I need my kids to have other people that can speak truth into their lives. It's very, very important. That's how community is built. And then he, he wraps up. Uh, same way he, he wrapped up Second uh, John. He says, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write in pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face because I'm going to... That wicked nonsense of uh, that guy. Uh, so, so peace be to you, friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. And so, so let, me, let me wrap up um, by, by talking about why reputations matter at a congregational level and then at a personal one. Okay, Because one, one of our core desires here at Merge is that we would care more about our reputation than we would our marketing. Okay, We would care more about our reputation than we would our marketing. Because here's what we could do. We could market the snot out of our city. We could. I mean, we have literally the best-looking kids in town. We could take pictures of that and put it on Facebook and say, oh my gosh, have you seen Scout Stoltz? Have you seen her? If you want to look at her, we will let you just come to our church. Right? Can we do I didn't even think about that. We could start selling tickets. So, no? All right. We can host events that, that cater to both the family and the individual. We can send out mail-outs to advertise how relevant and cutting-edge we are, even though we're not cutting-edge at all. Uh, and that, that if we really, if I'm really honest with you, all we try to do is go back to these first-century beliefs of what was said about the church. That they were a people devoted to prayer, devoted to the Word, devoted to service. They were devoted to, to walking with one another when life is hard and when life isn't. Like that's all we're trying to do. There's, there's nothing cutting edge. There's nothing, we don't put a sticker on it that says bright and shining and new. We don't. We're constantly trying to get back to what we find in the Word to be the healthiest way of doing community. And so, so 
Except we have AC. That's, that's the big thing. That's the only difference I want to make. Like I want to have a air conditioning. So, so all of those things that we can do, we can send out to our community. And what they are is, is a snapshot of who we are. Um, but, but the one thing we know about snapshots is that, that you can, for one moment, get everybody posed just right, all looking at the camera in the right way, the light can be illuminating from the background, right? And that photographer can take the picture, and then as soon as they say okay, all it breaks loose, right? <laughs> right? Have you ever taken a picture, and, but you know the story behind the picture? Right? We could do that. We could do that, but, but we don't want, here's the thing, we don't want to trick people into community. We don't. We, we don't want to draw them in with a snapshot. We want to draw them in by them hearing about our good deeds and praising our Father who is in heaven. That's the reputation. We want to draw them in by hearing how we treat each other, how we treat our city, uh, and that, that it would be so, there would be so many positive words that they would be willing to take that next step in. We, we long for the reputation for this place to be where love is experienced, even, even when the loving word is the hard word. That, uh, that, that, that where we are bold in our proclamation of God's love expressed through Jesus, that, that where we celebrate and we suffer together, where we're willing to adventure with God past the comforts of our own lives, where, where people are, uh, who are far from God can find life in Jesus because God's kids are on a mission to pour out our lives for the sake of the gospel. And when we do those things, we develop a reputation worth speaking of. And so, so the only way that we, I told you, we're going to talk congregational and then we'll talk personally. The only way that the church develops that reputation, I always keep coming back to this, at its simplest form, all we are is a collection of individual people. And so in order for Merge to develop the reputation where, where the city sees our good deeds and gives glory to our Father who is in heaven, that starts with you and me being committed to living that out. Not when you're wearing a merge shirt or when you're signed up for a merge event or, you know, when you're trying to promote and tell people, hey, I go to this gathering. But that with your life, people would see your good deeds. And they would say, there's, there's no way that person's that good. There has to have been something that changed their life for them to pursue that. So, so at a personal level, our reputation should matter to us because they're reflections of to whom we belong. So our lives serves as these testimonies of the greatness of, of God's love. And so we come back to that original question. Does my life bring praise to the name of Jesus? That's a great place to stop. <laughs> it's a great place to stop. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Okay, let me, let me tell you about what we're about to do. Okay, because when we dismiss... Um, I don't want everybody elbowing and punching each other on the way out. But right toward the uh, giving station, uh, there's a bucket. In that bucket, Tony, do you mind standing right over there? Um, put on your good-looking face. Um, inside that bucket, there's a keychain. Okay, so you go ahead and grab one. All right. Now I don't. We don't. We do this every year. Okay. I don't. I don't want you rooting around trying to find the one that you like. Okay. <laughs> Just assume that God gave you this, this keychain for a purpose. But on that keychain, there is a name of a person or a camper uh, who is going this week to summer camp. 
And what we would encourage you to do is just to take one of those, put it on your keychain, uh, and then this week, starting today, you would be praying for that person by name. Because uh, here's what happens, okay? Never fails. The days before camp, something will come up. A person will get sick. A kid will get grounded. Let me tell you this, okay? Don't threaten your kid with not getting to go to summer camp, okay? Ground them for something else, all right? But something will happen. And so beginning today all the way through next Sunday, I want you to pray for them a couple times a day. When we get to camp on Wednesday, that you would heighten your prayers. Because here's what we know about summer camp. It's just like this, but it helps us disconnect, helps us slow down, and it gives kids and students the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. We promise you this. We take, we take our responsibility with your kids. Um, we don't take it lightly. We're praying that, that God would speak and beckon them this week. And so this is one of the ways our church joins in with that. So as we pray and we, as we dismiss, uh, we want you just to go grab one of those. Uh, and then as we dismiss, if there's some prayer that you need today, we want to pray with you. There's going to be a group of people right over here. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus in your heart. We want to give you that opportunity. All right? I love you guys. Let me pray for you, and then, then we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, your, uh, that our reputations matter a great deal. Not because it says something about how great we are, but that, that our reputation as your kid says something about how great you are. And so what we pray today is that we would be very intentional about the people that we are becoming. That we would invite you into that conversation. That we would draw close to your word. And that we would get to see how fiercely you love us. Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity we have to serve our kids and, and our students this week. And, and we pray, starting today, for the ones who don't know you, that you would soften their hearts and that you would grab hold of them. So that when we return next week, we celebrate that the dead has come to life that the loss has been found. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.